Hey friends, welcome back to the Journal Feed. My name is Nick Zelt, and this is the only place to get spoon-fed the latest and greatest of emergency medicine. We are trying to keep you guys up on the literature, and to do that, we are willing to spoon-feed it to you. Now, let's take a quick look ahead and spoil everything from this week. First, if you don't need to poke the elbow, then why would you need to poke the knee, right? Correct, exactly. Prepatellar bursitis may not need aspiration. Second, we have updates for neonatal hyperbilirubinemia care that includes raising our thresholds for treatment. Third, we can be taught to give lower post-intubation sedation doses, and it's safer. Fourth, bicarb, less than useful in pediatric in-hospital cardiac arrest. And then finally, from the last article, there is more cannabis hyperemesis syndrome than there once was. And this is likely more due to cannabis commercialization than it is to legalization. Now, if you were hearing this right now, then you are not currently a Journal Feed subscriber, and so you're not receiving the full Journal Feed podcast, only receiving a portion of the past week's articles. Don't worry, I pick my favorites. But if you would like to get full access to both the podcast and the blog, then you'd have to become a member. All the details for that are at journalfeed.org. And remember, we never want money to be a barrier to patient care. And so if you're having any trouble affording a subscription, just get in touch and we'll help you out. This is the audio version of the past week summaries, which this week were brought to you by Graham Van Shake, Jacob Athels, Sam Parnell, Megan Breed, Aaron Lacey, and Clay Smith. Okay, we're going to jump over to the second article. Titled Technical Report, Diagnosis and Management of Hyperbilirubinemia in Newborn Infants, 35 or More Weeks of Gestation out of the journal Pediatrics. Neonatal hyperbilirubinemia is a pretty common concern. If left untreated, it can be devastating too. Often, this is going to be identified by other people than you, but sometimes it could certainly land in your lap. To improve the care of these tiny humans, the American Academy of Pediatrics did a committee-led systematic review on the literature. They were able to make a total of 25 key action statements, as they call them. But don't worry, I'm not going to be reading through nearly as many things as that. All the same, there are some important changes. The previous thresholds for hyperbilirubinemia were considered conservative, and there are risks to giving phototherapy. As a result, the boundaries for the treatment were shifted slightly. So careful with those handy apps that you might use for this purpose, as they might take a little bit while for them to be updated to have the new thresholds, which are going to be a little bit higher. The next recommendation is about transfer of care. After all, not all centers even have a NICU. They set the threshold for transfer as a bilirubin level of 2 mg per deciliter less than the transfusion threshold. All these infants requiring high levels of care should get intensive phototherapy and IV hydration. If the cause is isoimmune hemolysis, then consider IVIG. The last change we'll mention was the removal of racial considerations in risk stratifying. This was done since the protective effect of black racial identity did not really align with the demonstrated health disparities. In a spoonful, there's a few important changes to the management of neonatal hyperbilirubinemia. The treatment thresholds were changed, forget thinking about race, and now there is a clear course of action for the escalation of care. And then the third article, titled The Feasibility of Implementing Targeted Sedation in Mechanically Ventilated Emergency Department Patients, the EDSED Pilot Trial out of the Journal of Critical Care Medicine. Okay, okay, okay. 
Normally, I'm praising the need for proper post-intubation sedation, since way too many of our patients report being awake and paralyzed. That said, it's going to be kind of a Goldilocks zone thing that you're going to be trying to aim for here. Patients who are too deeply sedated suffer worse outcomes. Patients sedated in the emergency department have higher mortality, longer times on the vent, and longer hospital stays. Sadly, this is not a well-studied topic, so what can we do about this? This is the EDSED trial, a pragmatic multi-center before and after pilot and feasibility trial to see if a large clinical trial on emergency department-based sedation would be possible. This was done in three academic medical centers. Their goal here was to improve the adherence to guideline-recommended protocols to facilitate appropriate post-intubation sedation. As part of the trial, providers were educated with lectures, in-service, and formal bedside interactions on the importance of sedation, sedation depths, and documentation. They also sent out reminder emails and cards so that nobody forgot about all the teaching. With all this, they were able to include 415 patients in the cohort study. The patients in the group that had the intervention had less deep sedation and better documentation of the sedation depth. More importantly, there was also lower mortality by 10%. Yes, that was significant. More days out of the ICU and more days off the vent. All with no increases in adverse events and no required reintubations. There were a few limitations to this study, of course, but keep in mind that this was a pilot study and so we don't really necessarily expect it to be perfect. Interestingly, though, all of the intervention group apparently achieved lighter sedation, but they did not receive less sedation overall. This could possibly be due to the Hawthorne effect. You know when people change their behaviors because they know they're being watched? It could apply here. I'll be eager to see the full study if this is done and not just a pilot. In the meantime, it's pretty convincing that good sedation depth monitoring and shooting for light sedation is appropriate. In a spoonful, make sure you sedate, of course, but of course, easy does it on the dose. The follow-up full clinical trial will be eagerly awaited. Oh, and in case you're wondering, their educational materials that they had to educate all these physicians as part of the trial group, they're not in the supplementals. I checked. All right, that's it. Let's do a quick wrap-up of all that we covered. From the second article, the treatment of hyperbilirubinemia in neonates has changed a bit. Now we have higher thresholds. You can stop considering race. And now things are a little bit more clear for transferring for higher levels of care. From the third article, a pilot study shows improved sedation teaching in emergency departments improves important outcomes. The trick is to go light on the sedation. Links to all the articles summarized can be found at journalfeed.org, where the newsletter is going to be the best way to make the podcast into a bite-sized nugget of a little bit of space repetition. Now, if you're feeling like you missed out a little bit, you'd like to hear more podcasts, and you'd like to get full access to the blog, then you'll have to come join us over at the members feed. Now, our goal here is to provide better patient care through spoon feeding, and so we're trying to help you keep up with the latest research one spoonful at a time. Thank you.